everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin from Continuum. Have you seen the movie Moneyball or read the book? Now, I know the book is usually better than the movie, though I must point out that the book doesn't have Brad Pitt in it. But I digress. Moneyball explores how Billy Bean, the general manager of the Oakland Athletics baseball team, used players' performance statistics in new ways to increase his team's chances of winning. Now, it wasn't the statistics themselves that were new. We've been measuring and quantifying baseball players since the beginning of the game. But it's what you do with this data, the questions you ask with them and the correlations you can find, that contribute to a higher percentage of wins. Can we apply the lessons of Moneyball to businesses? Can companies measure the interactions their employees have and increase their chances of winning? Well, our guest today, Ben Weber, certainly believes so. He's founded a company called Humanize that helps organizations identify a desired goal and learn to measure and manage their internal stats in relevant ways. Humanize draws off of years of research Ben has done on people analytics. He got his PhD in the Human Dynamics Group at MIT and was a senior researcher at Harvard Business School in the Organizational Behavior Group. Ben came in for a chat with Continuum's Kevin Young to talk about business metrics, forming the right internal teams, and of course, Brad Pitt. All right, Ben, thank you very much for coming in today and speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it would be really helpful to start by just by talking about your company, how, yeah. it, how it came to be and uh, the types of things that you're focusing on. Yeah. So, I mean, Humanize, we're a people analytics company, which is sort of like Moneyball for business, right? I don't know if you've seen the movie Moneyball. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, just in case you people haven't seen it. Um, well, again, it's actually a true story about how... Um, Really, Billy Bean, who is uh, played with Brad Pitt in the movie, if you need more motivation to see the movie, um, decided that he was going to start using data about how people um, play baseball to build a team. And everyone thought this was crazy, right? For 150 years, when you built a baseball team, is you had a bunch of old guys who knew a lot about baseball, watch people play baseball, and based on their subjective valuations, they build a team. Right? Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. That was just viewed as the best way to do things. And... By taking this data-driven approach, everyone thought they were crazy, but they went on a record winning streak, they made the playoffs, now every single team builds an organization this way. And by a similar token, I could ask very simple questions of pretty much any business in the world about what happens internally that people can't answer. Right? Like, how much does uh, management talk to the engineering team? Nobody knows. Right. Um, even how many hours do people work? And you think about how simple these questions are, how critical they are, and the reason people can't answer them is they don't have data. Right. Now, we might use surveys, we might use human observers, and there's good reasons to use those things. But of course, if I have 10,000, 100,000 people all over the world, if I want to know on a day-by-day, week-by-week, even month-by-month basis, what's actually happening internally? Um, these subjective tools are not very good at that. And humans, by the very nature, we're not recording devices. Uh, we're also incredibly inaccurate when I even ask you questions about these things. You know, who'd you talk to yesterday? Right. Only about 30% accurate. And really back during our PhDs at MIT, what we were able to, to see was that there actually already was a lot of data about what people do at work available. We had email, chat, meeting data, um, but now also sensor data. And starting at MIT, we built our own really next generation IDs to get at the face-to-face side of work. You know, who's talking to who, how do people talk to each other? Again, importantly, not what people say and not counting how many times people go to the bathroom, but uh, being able to really understand at a millisecond level what's actually going on within the workplace. And of course, combining that in with all this digital data to give you this holistic picture of how work's getting done. Um, By relating that to outcomes like productivity, retention, what have you, you're able to, of course, first of all, predict um, what stuff really matters, but then you're able to proactively change how organizations work based on this data. 
And today where we've gotten is, I mean, we have by far the largest data set of workplace interaction in the world. I mean, well over um, 15 billion face-to-face interactions. We have hundreds of millions of digital communications. Um, and what we're able to do with that is uh, first provide dashboards to our customers that solve uh, business problems today, but then also start to get to a place where we can look across more and more companies and start to um, automatically learn the impact of different management decisions that companies make. Hmm. Right? And so essentially our customers use our technology to inject um, real intelligence um, into all their different people decisions. Um, so that's that's the quick summary. Hmm. One, one thing I'll throw out there is just importantly with all of our work, and this goes back to our PhD, right? Um, we're not looking at content. We deploy our technology on an opt-in basis. We don't give individual data to companies. Um, and that's important, right? So we go above and beyond EU privacy standards. And we do think that's something that um, needs to, uh, there needs to be regulation around that in the US as well right. um, for this industry to continue to grow. Because sort of today, really the only ones who can do this sort of thing. But there are you know, more and more companies that are going to come into the space. Right. Yeah. That's, I'll, I'll come back to that question. because I think that's... Yeah. Um, probably a, a pretty common question you get just around Absolutely. the privacy. Yeah. Um, it, I, I love the Moneyball example. Yeah. It's um, the analytics of that really is the magic because they were looking at statistics. Yeah. Obviously they were looking at statistical performance of athletes for a long yeah. time. But what um, Billy Bean did is he brought that together in a way that people hadn't um, thought about yeah. in terms of bringing, back, bringing together players. And I imagine that's true yeah. for you that each company has really unique needs. Yeah. Obviously there's not a one size fits all Mm-hmm. analytics engine that can yeah. provide the, the information that people need. How much of that yeah. do you provide, these bespoke um, custom Well, so I might push back on that a little bit okay. in that the same metric, we know which metrics really matter for different types of business problems. Okay. To your point, the exact way they predict outcomes differs company by company, mm-hmm. right? even within the same industry. Right. Right. Now imagine, for example, I'm, a, I'm an electronics company. Um, Maybe I'm going for um, really high levels of innovation. So I want to create the newest products that no one's ever seen before. Sure. Well, the sorts of things that are going to make uh, my teams uh, productive, and this is a hypothesis, but in general, you'll see that that's where people within teams branch out and interact a lot with people on other teams in disparate parts of the organization. Hmm. Um, On the other hand, I could make the same types of electronics, but I'm a different company, and my focus is on technical excellence. I want extremely low error rates. I want uh, just extremely high quality. I'm optimizing for different things. Um, So even though I'm in the same industry, I want actually extremely cohesive teams. um, And that what our our platform is able to do is say, well, we know which problems you're trying to solve. And so within that, here are the metrics that matter. But you tell us for you, what are your best teams? Now, ideally, you have hard KPIs, because if you do, you can say quantitatively, if you want to raise this by 10%, here are the behaviors you need to change. Uh, but even if you don't have that, even if it's just subjective, again, I don't know why, but this is the best, for example, design team, you know, one of our customers, which is a major apparel company. Um, again, for their designers, they of course, they have no hard KPIs, because how is good this designer? I don't know. But we can say, well, for the people that you feel like are the best, or the teams you feel like are the best, here's what they do differently. You know, maybe they interact more with people on other teams. Maybe they interact more with people outside the company. Maybe they have more heads down focus work. That's possible. Right. Um, and what you're able to do is automatically learn those things company by company. And I think that's what's important is that a lot of times companies come to us and they say, well, I want to know how I compare to you know my competitors. Right. And We've started to provide that because we can provide that, but I really like to push back on that because what matters, it's not um, 
what even your closest competitor does because their strategy, their culture is different than what you, you're going for. What matters is internally, what are the things that predict higher levels of positive outcomes that you care about? Hmm. That's great. Do you have um, uh, customers today you can talk about? Or even if you can't name them, just sort of high level experiences that they've had in working with you? Yeah, well, so let's see. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the exact names. I, I am allowed and not allowed to, to mention. <laughs> okay. So why don't I just give some general yeah, things? Yeah. Categories um, of right. So so broadly speaking, um, a lot of companies when they first start using our technology um, are using it to uh, really optimize business processes. Mm -hmm. In that, for a lot of these companies, which our customers are generally very large Fortune 500, uh, you know, multinationals. Right. They have these large, elaborate processes that they built typically over decades or even hundred plus years. And they have this problem. The COO or someone, you know, one of the business unit leaders is tasked with optimizing this process. And right, you know, they pay um, a you know some professional services firm to tell them here's the the new potness and here's what you need to do because you know Google did that and that was really good. And they say, well, listen, um, I got this problem. I don't even know if our process happens today. When it doesn't happen, is that good or is it bad? Mm -hmm. This new process, if I roll it out, is it actually going to change how people work? Basic questions, again, they don't know the answer to. Right. But what we're able to do is from, again, data they already have, like email, chat, meeting data, um, we're able to infer an awful lot about what goes on. Mm -hmm. um, if they have you know, next generation sensors, whether that's um, you know, uh, next generation IDs, whether it's IoT sensors in the workplace, again, we have an exclusive partnership with HID where they've made their badge platform compatible with our analytics platform. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even millions of people of the world who are now able to, um, at a very detailed level, understand how they're physically working. Um, again, that's all aggregated up. Right. Um, we also have, you know, devices that we've made ourselves that can go you know, even deeper. But if you look at later this year, our uh, partners are going to be releasing similar things. Mm -hmm. So, we go in and with our, literally we have a module, which all it does is essentially process optimization. It shows you, here's how different groups in the company work together today, right? Here's where that, um, here's where the gaps are, essentially according to whatever your process map is, or if you're you know, working on engineering teams or software development teams, looking at dependencies, right? So if my code depends on your code and we don't communicate, that's really, really bad. And there's decades of research on this. Um, and so what we're able to do is show where those gaps are. I mean, literally day by day, week by week, month by month. You're then able to, again, not just match that with your existing process, but you can say, well, rather than maybe roll out this new process across the entire company, I could do it across a small subset and see, does that actually change behaviors in ways I want? Right. And if it doesn't, I don't care. Um, and so we've been able to do that. Um, again, we've had you know, dozens of Fortune 500 companies, whether it's do reorgs, do process changes, um, and because these are such large organizations, they're really constantly doing this across at different parts of the organization at any given time. And so this is a way, our technology is a way for them to understand what the state of the world is, mm -hmm. but then very rapidly iterate in different parts of the organization at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, even with things like corporate real estate, so where should you physically locate people? What should your office design be? We have a product around that. Um, even with uh, things like workload assessment, um, especially for our, our customers in Asia that have... Uh, really big focus on reducing workloads and things like that. Being able to um, quantitatively show what's going right. on is, is critical. Um, one of our longest running customers today, so typically the way companies start out is they'll already have a plan, some organizational change that they're going to do. And they use their technology essentially to do before and after, what quantitatively changed. 
then you start using our technology to proactively intervene. Then you start doing, you know, multiple A-B tests at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually you do more and more of those. And you build out a people analytics team who their only job is to use this kind of technology to essentially manage the business, right. the people side of the business. And our longest running customers, this is three years in, mm -hmm. um, they went from doing it before and after to now they're concurrently running, uh, the count today was, I think, 35 uh, tests internally. Um, and that's a lot. Yeah. Right? Uh, mathematically, they could do well over 200. So they're still not at the end state of where they could get to. Right. But you think about how hard that is. I mean, that means I have to be able to come into a workplace and say, all right, well, this week I'm going to change where you sit. I'm going to change who your boss is. I'm going to change what IT tools you use. I'm going to change how I pay you. Right? It's really hard. Mm -hmm. It's actually not a technology problem. Like our technology enables that. But it's this cultural change piece that has to happen at the same time, which we don't do. That's where our partners you know, come or our customers will do that themselves. Right. But because our technology enables you to, I mean, literally at a millisecond level, understand what's going on, you can act that much more quickly. Hmm. And uh, coming back to the point you made earlier, so you have these, um, your systems, they've been integrated into you know, some of your customers. Yeah. Um, it, the privacy you know, question yeah. that comes up, yeah. how has the reaction been among employees at these companies? And yeah. So it's really critical to roll out this kind of technology in the right way and something that we learned at MIT basically how to do that. I mean, essentially we deal with data the same way we did at MIT where we had to go through internal review boards and all these things. Uh, again, when you deploy new, um, you know, new sensors, you deploy those on an opt-in basis. You never give individual data to companies. Um, everything, so everything's aggregated, not even anonymized. You aggregate it um, or you can add noise to it to make it provably anonymous. Yeah. Um, and the point there is that, listen, um, you don't care what Bob's doing at 2.30 on Tuesday. No one cares. What you care about is what does our most productive team do differently than everybody else? How much does management talk to the sales team? Like those really big questions, that's what we care about. Mm -hmm. um, we don't, again, as I mentioned, count how many times you go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, we give people consent forms that show them the actual database tables that we collect. Hmm. Right? And we sign, that's a legal contract between us and our users. Right. And so that's, that's important, especially in the U.S., to give people legal guarantees around what their rights are with their data. Um, but there is, especially when you first roll out, there is a whole uh, rollout process that we implement every time, which takes between four and six weeks, depending on the exact company. Um, but you do that because you can't just show up um, in the workplace one day and say, hey, here's a sensor that measures all the stuff by others. No one's doing that, right? I wouldn't yeah. do it if someone yeah. did it to me. Um, and so it's something where, because of our approach, we can deal with data the same way anywhere in the world. Again, we're part of the EU Privacy Shield. I mean, literally, even things like GDPR don't change how we process data at all, right? Because right? we feel like we do things the right way. Um, but that is why it's really important to to have more regulations here in the U.S. Because collecting the data itself is actually not that difficult. Um, we do, I think, you know, very um, difficult things with the data, and to be able to pull out the kinds of insights that we do. I mean, as you know, we've been doing this um, for. 12 plus years, there's literally hundreds of, uh, you know, research papers that we've written that our collaborators have written using this technology. So we built that all up. But of course, just figuring out where is somebody at any given time, it's not that hard. Right. Um, and you can see how that can be abused, which is why having regulation that in front of that is mm -hmm. really critical. But when we've had, again, we have opt-in um, at, our, at our customers, our average opt-in rate is over 93%. Um, so we've gotten quite good at rolling this out. But again, it's, you have to take your time and you have to be transparent about what you're doing with this data. So these are the individual employees who can choose just to opt in or out of the program? Is that well, and importantly, it's, it's not opt out, it's opt in, which hmm. is critical, right? So when you're dealing with, the, the one caveat I'll say is when you're dealing with corporate owned data, so data that the company already has, um, we'll process that, you still um, 
notify people you're doing it, but not exposing individual data. Right. When you are collecting new data, that's when um, the only way we'll operate is for opt-in. Okay. Uh, yeah. I got it. And it's 93%. Uh, the, I think as of today, it was almost 94%. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, I, so we do a lot of work in creating new connected experiences yep. in the IoT space. And, um, and we think a lot with our clients about future experiences. Yes. So we think out, you know, five years out, sure. based on the trends of technology trends and cultural trends, mm -hmm. <clears throat> business trends, where do we anticipate um, the future of our clients' business? Yeah. And a lot of what we find is that, you know, there's, there's naturally um, uncertainty right now. When people think their their personal assistants are listening to them and, and yeah. stealing their information, and you know, there's I think with any new technology, yeah. there's often some skepticism about yep. um, the the you know the dystopian side of things. Yes. So I, in a lot of the work that we do, you yep. know, we see the the positive um, power of technology yep. and how it can help people in business, mm -hmm. and and I share your mm -hmm. optimism, I assume, yeah. that people will naturally become more comfortable with this. Yeah. You know, sensors are going to be part of our lives. It, in, Absolutely. <laughs> in, yeah. in, a, in a very integrated, seamless way yes. that I think people will just increasingly come yeah. to, not only come to be comfortable with, but yeah. come to expect. And I think that that's why it's, it's critical where we have places in the EU that have sort of gotten out ahead of that with regulation so that it's, as that's coming, it's in some ways easier, for example, for us to roll out in the EU, right. because by the time we've gone through legal review at our customers, people know we've gone through that. And they know if we violate those things, they can sue us, they can put us out of business as well they should be able to do. Right. Whereas in the US, we don't have that. And what that means is that if we get to a point where, which we are getting to the point, right, mm -hmm. where you just get sensors integrated into clothing, where it's not wearing, there's not new devices, they're just things that are everywhere, right? right. That's, that's happening. And so to say, well, people will get used to just, because they won't even have to think about it. You'll right. put on your shirt and that means it'll be collecting data. Um, without certain privacy guarantees that are built in uh, mm -hmm. to that, um, what, is going to, what is going to happen is that there will eventually be a pretty gigantic backlash and this sort of thing will be regulated out of existence, right? And I can point to today, literally hundreds of thousands of people who measurably like their jobs better, who make more money and, are, and their companies make more money mm -hmm. because of what we do. Right. And so I don't want to lose all those things because we weren't pushing on doing things that make sense and protecting individual privacy, right. while at the same time doing things that make sense for companies, which is not you know individual micromanagement. It's understanding what's actually going on inside the business. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting to follow the example of um, healthcare providers and the relationships yeah. that yeah. some companies have had. And you know we, we followed these examples of of course, employees who can opt in, opt out. Sometimes there's even incentives yeah. exactly. for the employees to to be part of these programs. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, a, it's nice to see those yep. programs, at least in my opinion, nice to yes. see those programs becoming more widely accepted yep. and uh, and people understand that it's it's you know ultimately to help the company and help them. That's right. Be, be a better employee or healthier. Um, talk a little bit about your, your competitors. Do you have yeah. direct competitors in this space? I mean, for different parts of our business, there are certain people who are playing in this kind of space. Um, you see on the digital analytics end, uh, companies like uh, Microsoft who do essentially analytics on how you spend your time using Microsoft products. So some similarities, it's a different sort of problem they're solving. Mm -hmm. um, you see on the sensor side, um, again, frankly for us, really people are just gonna be our partners. Um, you have companies like Hitachi actually sponsored our research at MIT um, that have a smart badge platform, but um, I mean, even they are probably gonna be on our um, analytics platform soon. Right. Um, so 
you know, and what we've seen is that, I mean, today, um, a lot of our business has to do with digital data, but in terms of if I want to predict performance or pretty much name an outcome, uh, data about face-to-face interaction is about an order of magnitude more predictive. Um, and we have, I can, we've literally written papers on this. Um, the issue in the past has been that it's been hard to collect that data. Right? It's really easy for me to pull out of an email server, again, not content, but who communicates with who, when, how often, that sort of thing. And it had been hard to deploy sensors to measure face-to-face interaction. But that's changing. Again, you've got HID, you've got Panasonic, you've got Kronos, you've got all these different manufacturers who are releasing you know, their next generation IDs. You have um, increasingly in office sensors that look at um, you know, more broadly presence and things like that. Mm-hmm. And what we've done that really no one else can do is understand that data at scale um, as it relates to people. And again, not looking at content because most people try to focus on content. But what we were able to show during our PhDs was that even if you were able to perfectly capture content. And so we, I could point back to literally hundreds of hours of us manually coding content in laboratory settings. Yeah. Um, you essentially get a five to 10% lift in predictive power, hmm. right, which is not that high. Right. Um, and so for all the privacy pitfalls that would come along with that, um, combined with the fact that computers just frankly aren't very good at understanding content. Yeah. So rather than doing that, looking at these more broad behavioral patterns and, and interaction patterns and using that to uh, both diagnose issues, predict problems, and then eventually prescribe solutions. And that's really where the important stuff happens. And so we've built our entire platform up to this point where now, as we see orders of magnitude, uh, more in-office sensors coming online, I mean, every quarter, that we're just very well positioned for that. Um, and uh, I think the reason we've been growing so rapidly, especially over the last you know, year and a half, two years, uh, is because we have... Um, we're the only ones um, who can really process that kind of data at scale and really deliver actual insight. Um, and, and it's the same is true with digital data, frankly. Um, right. We're by far the leaders in that space. Yeah, yeah, that's the magic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking a little bit before we started, you're, uh, things are going well, right? Yes. You're, you're hiring quickly. Hiring really growing. quickly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, we use our own data internally right. to see you know, how quickly actually can we integrate people. So right now we can integrate about six, seven people a month. Hmm. We, we see, you know, which groups are working with which other groups. Um, we're using that to, uh, to help build out our, uh, our new office space. Um, so we'll, we can talk about that and hopefully, uh, you know, in a month or so we can actually show some pictures of it once we start moving in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a different sort of challenge, but it's uh, definitely exciting. Well, that's great. Yeah. So you've talked about some of the, uh, the companies that you're working with. Yeah. And, and um, tell me about the, um, the ROI. Yeah. What, what have they seen? What benefits have they seen from uh, utilizing your service? Yeah. There's a couple different um, answers for that. So in some of our customers' divisions, they have hard KPIs. And then it's quite clear. You install our technology. You start using that to make decisions. You see quantitative um, improvements in uh, those KPIs. So in call center operations, we've increased performance um, on average by over 20%. Um, again, just for our customers making very simple changes right. using our technology. And those hard performance metrics. Uh, or things like reducing a turnover there by um, uh, over 28%. Mm. Very hard numbers. On the other side, there are, for the majority of our customers, at least at first, what they're able to do is make decisions orders of magnitude faster and better than they possibly could before. Um, for example, um, one of our customers 
for their over 100 year history has constantly moved um, their workforce all over the globe. This is just what they do. They rotate people into different parts of the organization. They got it run like clockwork. They have formulas about how you do that, which groups you move, when you move them, all these things. So they always do it. But now they have our technology installed internally and for every people decision they make, they have to use our metrics. So they were about to move 800 people from different parts of the world to a central location in Singapore. And they were going to do it again because it's cheaper, right. right? They were going to save about $6 million in operating expense a year. But they said, all right, well, we've got this, this humanized platform. Let's you know, run that through their workspace planning tool and let's see what will happen. Right? And essentially what you do is show, well, how do people work today? So which groups work with each other? Um, how often do people communicate with their managers? Um, even things like response time. So how quickly do people get back to each other? Um, that's essentially the clock speed of the business. You can't make decisions faster than that. Right. And what you're able to do is by moving people to different locations or within an office, see how is that likely to affect how they collaborate. They fed those analytics to, back to the uh, business unit, said, okay, take a look at these things, tell us what that means to the business. And they look at this and they say, well, looks like that'll even net of the uh, $6 million in cost savings um, costs us about uh, 11 million bucks a year. So they didn't make the move. But what they said is, okay, over the course of the next year, we're gonna keep people in this, these locations, we're gonna see uh, if what you guys predicted happened. So it did happen, I'll just, yeah. so it happened, and now every single spatial decision, they, they have to use our technology, so we've expanded those things. But I think what's critical here is, you know, what did they see change? They essentially saw that the, the response time in these teams was gonna go down by about 14%, which you'd expect, because if my boss is here in New York, and then I move to Singapore, it's gonna take me longer to, to iterate with them, it just yeah. will. Um, I'll spend less time with them. What does that cost? Well, the business is able to, to determine this. Um, but without these metrics, 100 times out of 100, they would have made that decision. Mm -hmm. right? And this is, this is why it's sort of similar to the Moneyball example, because when something is, this is just the way we do it, right? and you've never had any numbers behind it, you, it's not to say it's always a bad idea, but you don't actually know what you're leaving on the table. Mm -hmm. And by being able to expose this uh, previously hidden data about how work actually gets done, you're, of course, able to make those decisions more accurately. But then because it's coming in more quickly, I mean, again, for these folks, I mean, <clears throat> this company is on a monthly basis uh, typically moving thousands of people around all over the world. And you couldn't support that um, with data without our platform. You just couldn't do it. Right. You would not have been able to move things that quickly. Hmm. And because you can do that, now you can start to move the company at the same clock speed as really the market. Right. Um, it's it's the same transition that marketing went through um, you know, 20, 25 years ago, now happening on the people side of business. Mm -hmm. Where in marketing, again, I used to be able to say, hey, I saw a cool ad on TV, let's spend $300 million doing the same thing. And I can't do that anymore. No, you need to run tests, you need metrics. And the people side of business is still stuck a couple decades ago, mm -hmm. where you read an article in Harvard Business Review about what Facebook does, about what Google does. And you say, they're cool, let's do the same thing as them. And that's crazy, that's crazy. But there had been no real alternative. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to move them in that direction. Hmm. That's great. It's a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with me today. Yeah, definitely really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks so much, man. Thank you.
The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and the workplace, and we love hearing how different people go about doing this repeatedly. Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to Ben and Kevin for their great conversation today. Many thanks to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Unending appreciation to Ken Gordon, our producer, for his masterminding behind the scenes. Many thanks to Brad Pitt for being Brad Pitt. This has been The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.